studying prayer is dicey because you don't want to formalize it. And prayer is something that's better done than talked about. But since Jesus was willing to give his followers brief instruction on prayer, it's okay to talk about it as long as we're careful. We're taking a look uh, every now and then on these prayer nights at the prayers that the Apostle Paul prayed that are recorded in the New Testament just to get some insight into um, how a mature man of God prayed for other Christians. If you look this up, there's different lists. It can be hard to determine sometimes what is a prayer and what isn't since Paul wrote sort of in an attitude of prayer and thankfulness all the time. But even if we miss something, the ones we study are going to be full and rich. And we're taking them in chronological order, starting with what scholars believe was Paul's first letters, his letters to the churches, uh, to the church rather, at Thessalonica. And his prayer in 2 Thessalonians 1, 11, and 12 is in a context of comforting them in afflictions, specifically persecution. So let's read what leads up to it, beginning in verse 5. It says, Uh, This is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you suffer, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints, to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. And so what jumps out at you in those verses, of course, is you suffer, you who are troubled. And so the Thessalonians were enduring a manner of persecution. Paul lifted their gaze beyond their trouble and passed the great tribulation... He's talking about the glorified church returning with Jesus at the end of the great tribulation. And when he does, judgment will be coming upon their persecutors. Now, we're not to glory in that vengeance. We must hold in mind always that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to eternal life and be saved. Knowing the future puts the present into perspective. I suffer now, but one day my suffering will be over And woe to those who cause that suffering if they don't get saved because they're going to be lost forever. So that's sort of what Paul is setting up here. The wicked prosper now, but unless they receive the forgiveness of their sins, they're going to be judged accordingly. I need and we need strength to endure the present afflictions, and that is what Paul prays for. And so in verse 11, therefore we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling... And fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now earlier Paul said he thanked God for them. And he said he boasted about them to others. And now on top of that we read that he prayed for them. And so this tells me just from the beginning that I should be thankful for and boastful about and prayerful towards the believers that I know. It's an amazing miracle, really, that someone would be born again of the Holy Spirit. It's cause to rejoice and to go on rejoicing by practicing those three attitudes. I was raised to put a high value on customer service. Remember the customer is always right kind of a thing? 
that's not really in vogue much anymore. But one thing that really bothers me because I was in public relations and customer service is when uh, everybody makes mistakes. Um, and when a company or a, you know, an outfit makes a mistake, uh, they need to own up to it, of course. But so often people blame their fellow employees or their company. You know, and so and you don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear that everybody that works for these people you're giving your money to is lame and that it's a stupid company. Uh, I mean, you need to take it, take one for the team, you know, and say, hey, I'm sorry, that shouldn't have happened. We'll take care of you. I mean, you don't say, yeah, Gene's an imbecile. You, you shouldn't have talked to him. You should start with me. It doesn't, and so I don't know if they're not teaching this in school or nobody cares anymore or what, but uh, it, it's just, you know, you know, you can do internally, you could have a company meeting and say, hey, quit being an idiot. Uh, you know, I mean, that's between you and that. Per- but, but what goes on, you know, inside should stay inside sort of a thing. You know, the Vegas thing, what happens in Vegas, they, what happens in the church should stay in the church. It really should. Today, everyone seems to quickly disrespect uh, their fellows. Are there problems in churches? Yes, there are, because you and I attend church. Any church that I attend or you attend is going to have problems, and you're going to start some of them or be uh, involved in some of them. But I want to be thankful and boastful and prayerful towards other believers, covering all their faults with grace. And so I, I certainly, if somebody is a believer, I can be thankful for that, can I not? That they were once lost and now they're found. They were once blind, but now they see. I mean, they're struggling, they're immature, they've maybe done some things that aren't great, maybe towards me even, but they're saved. And they're, there's, they're on a trajectory towards working all of that out. And I should be able to boast about them, there's, you know, rather than belittle them. Uh, and bottom line, I should be praying for them. And it's, it's kind of hard to put down somebody that you're lifting up before the Lord. And so, so right off the bat, there's some, uh, some really good insight into Paul's heart. Non-believers should never get the impression that churches are in competition. Sometimes I think churches feel like they're competing with one another for members or money or, you know, status, whatever. But we're not in competition. If we're in competition with anybody, it's bars and, you know, the Patachi Palace is who we're in competition with, if you want to know the truth, and all the things that go on. Uh, we're not in competition with other churches. We should have a, a good word to say about other churches. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about cults or so-called churches whose doctrine is not even biblical. I'm talking about the churches who honor the Lord and His Word, though there may be differences between us. I know when people call uh, here, I appreciate the calls that come in where people moving into town or something like they want to know something about your church. And uh, I'll always ask them, do you, do you know anything about Calvary Chapel? No, not really. And so I have to start from scratch. But I, over the years, I've decided or I've determined that the best thing to do is just say, hey, let me ask you a couple of questions about what you're really looking for. Because people are, they really only have one or two issues that they're concerned about. Uh, usually they want to know if you believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit or not. Because they have a strong opinion about that. Either they come from a cessationist church where they, they don't want anybody to speak in tongues ever. Or they come from a Pentecostal background where they want to exercise their gifts. And so that's important. Um, actually, that's usually the most important thing that, that people are worried about. And then everything else, you know, 
trails down. A lot of times, you, you know, what's your youth ministry, uh, that kind of thing. But they want to know. And, and so what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll hear their answer. And I'll say, you know, you're, you're just never going to really be happy at, at our church based if this is what you're used to and what you're looking for. But here are three or four good churches that you might want to try here in town that I think would fit your needs a little bit better and stuff. And it kind of surprises people, but we're not in competition. And, and there's no use trying to get somebody to come to your church who has a strong opinion about something that you're never going to change. Uh, we were listening to some studies at the pastor's conference last week, and uh, uh, you know, you, you really shouldn't come into a group that's cohesive and that has a doctrine or a, a behavior or a liturgy, whatever you want to call it, and try to change that group because you think you're right and they're not. You need to find a group that you agree with in these areas that are really important to you. And so there's no use somebody coming here to Calvary who is a cessationist. And by that, I mean somebody who believes that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased, that there's no such thing as prophecy or tongues or miracles or healings. There's no use them coming here and getting discouraged and discouraging others. They, there's plenty of good churches where they would fit in. And then everybody gets ministered to, and you don't get sidetracked on these rabbit trails. Uh, and so uh, we want to uh, be... Uh, Prayerful and boastful and thankful for other believers. Uh, the, the other part of this is that I would desire, or, or rather, um, Paul prayed first after this that our God would count them worthy of this calling. So nobody is worthy of salvation. That's not what he's talking about. It's a free gift of grace, not by works. God only justifies sinner. He declares believing sinners righteous. That's what justification is. I love that definition. God declares believing sinners righteous. Uh, not believing perfect people, but believing sinners. He's describing, Paul is describing them after they got saved, not before. So he's therefore talking about how we walk with Jesus from the cross until his coming for us, from our experience of the cross where we get saved until he comes for us. And although the emphasis is on God and what he has promised to do, we will want to walk in a way that is worthy of such a miraculous calling. Not deserving, we never walk in a way that makes us deserve anything. And, and we would all answer that question by saying, oh, I understand that. But if I were to ask any Christian, do you believe you deserve any? Oh, no, of course not. But practically speaking, you know, when we, when we, you know, the days you get up on time and have your devotions and you're, you, don't re, you, know, you don't see there on the side of your iPad that you're 75 days behind in your reading, you know, that you're actually a few days ahead, and uh, you pray, and this happened, and that happened. I mean, you, you feel like you're pretty much on top of your game. You almost feel like you deserve, you know, for the Lord to be blessing you because of how holy you're living and stuff like that. Yeah, that's, a, that's a dangerous place to be in, believe me. I mean, we want to do those things, but we can never think that we deserve uh, anything. Uh, but in light of our calling to salvation and our ultimate glorification, we would want to walk worthy and be found walking worthy of the Lord. To that end, Paul prayed to fulfill the good pleasure of his goodness. A better translation is that God would fulfill our every desire for goodness. In the Christian film, God's Not Dead, the first one, I didn't see the second one. Was it any good? The second one any good? All right. 
Two of the main characters had that dialogue they'd use. Uh, I don't know if they carried this over into the second movie. One would say, God is good, and the other would answer, all the time. And then they would say, and all the time, and then the other would answer, God is good. That's part of what Paul is getting at here, that God is always good. Remember, he's talking to them in a context of suffering when it's hard to see the goodness of God. But he can show us his goodness, and he does. Uh, You've all been in times of suffering, and God has shown you his goodness during those times. And uh, we don't like them. We we find it hard to, to believe that at first, but God pulls it out sometimes in the end, but he always shows us his goodness. The other part of this is that I would desire to do good and depend upon God to empower my desires. And so that's uh, another way of reading this or an acceptable way of reading this, that I want to do, do good and depend upon God to empower my desires. And depending upon God isn't easy because sometimes I have a desire that seems good, but it's not from God. And that means I won't enjoy his empowering if I pursue it. I'll be in my own strength. And that's when I end up burnt out and frustrated. This uh, happens when um, a lot of times people come and they say, hey, we, we need to be doing this. Uh, and, and, you know, over the years, I mean, think of, think of all the things that Christians do or that you could be involved with. Uh, things that your friends do, other churches do, other missions. I mean, just think of missions, for example. Think of all the different places people could go to be missionaries, right? There has to be some kind of leading. You can't just go. And so a lot of times people, they say, hey, we, you know, I hear, I've heard about this need and we should do something about this need. And then we, maybe the church leadership, will pray about it, and we just don't feel led. And, when, you know, it's so disappointing to tell people we just don't feel led to help in this area. And you, it's like, what, do you, what kind of a Christian are you? What do you mean you're not going to help in this area? These people need help. Well, so do the people next door and in the next country. You know, I mean, we can only do what we're led to do because that's how God is going to bless. That, that's where the financial blessing is going to come and the spiritual blessing is going to come. And if we send somebody out on the mission field or they go out there, they better know that that's the field they're supposed to be in and not some other field. You don't want to get to the mission field or anywhere, even if your mission field is in the United States, and find out that you weren't called to that place. And so the, it, it's difficult. Other times... Your desire is from God, but you hesitate because you don't believe by faith that God will empower you to perform it. And so that's, a, that's also a problem. Uh, you know, over the years, people have come in, and we, we joke about this, but people come and they say, well, I think we should be doing that. And I look at them and I say, yeah, and I think you should be doing that because you're the one that has a burden. You know, in the Old Testament, it talk, a lot of times it would say the burden of the prophet. And it wasn't like a bummer. It's like, oh, man, I i got to get up and prophesy again. What a bummer. I wish I could do anything else. It, the idea is that it was, it was what was on their heart. And so sometimes God puts something on your heart for you to do something about it. And the church can get involved. The church can be helpful. But the church is you. And so, you know, the church doesn't exist just for people to throw ideas out and say, hey, we should be doing this. Yeah, you're the one that has the burden. So you follow your heart. And let's see how God wants to deal with that. We'll come behind you and see if we can help you uh, and and figure that out. And so it's not always easy to uh, have 
our desires meet God's empowering. We need to be careful and pray about it. Paul prayed that God would fulfill the work of faith with power. The work of faith is a description of what our lives ought to be after we're saved. We ought to practice works and produce works that are characteristic of having faith in Jesus Christ. We can only do that through God's power. Having begun in the Spirit, we need to continue in the Spirit, depending upon the Lord to empower us in and for all of our endeavors. Then verse 12, he says, "...that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ." Since we're saved, it ought to be natural for us to want to see Jesus glorified through our lives. I mean, you know, lately, I guess because I'm getting older, I've been thinking a lot more about when I first got saved and, and just how excited I was because of how much the Lord had saved me from. And just the whole concept of being saved was an amazing thing to me. Uh, And you want your life now to count and to mean something and to bring glory to God for what he's done to you. You want his name to be glorified, and his name encompasses his character and his nature. In my words and in my walk, am I bringing glory to the name of Jesus? A sincere asking of that question will give me answers to many of life's unanswered questions. We've been uh, talking for a few months about something that uh, Pastor Donald Gray Barnhouse said one time, he's, a, he's with the Lord now, he was a Presbyterian pastor of uh, 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, it's a famous church, his commentaries are really rich and full, great preacher of the word, and he would get asked things like, can a Christian dance, can a Christian smoke, can a Christian see movies, you know, those can a Christian uh, questions, and he would always say, I'm not the Holy Spirit in your life, if it's something that the Bible isn't clear about, if there's no verse that says, thou shalt not go to the movies, then he's not, he's not saying you should or you shouldn't, but he's not the Holy Spirit. But a better question for me to ask, rather than for me to ask someone else, to ask of myself, is, am I bringing glory to the name of Jesus? And so if I have a question about something, if there's a questionable behavior, something that I'm struggling with, one way I can approach it is say, will my participation in this bring glory to the Lord? Because that's what I ought to really be all about. That's what Paul is praying for, that our lives overall would bring glory to the Lord. So those gray area questions can often be answered by asking, how does it glorify Jesus? And if it doesn't, then I probably want to pass, you know, um, and move on to something else that would glorify him. Doesn't mean I can't have liberty in some questionable activity, but like Paul said of himself elsewhere... Maybe I should have my liberty to myself and not flaunt it in the world where it might bring reproach upon Jesus and stumble his followers. That's a hard one. Um, You know, nobody does this perfectly, and and I'm not saying what you can and can't do, obviously. Um, I try and be a little careful, personally, as a pastor in a lot of areas, then there's some areas that you probably think, well, yeah, but you're blowing it in that area, but you haven't told me yet. Uh, but, you know, so, I mean, you, everybody draws a line in different places in terms of what they think might stumble others. But I, I think it's okay as a Christian to, to, to wonder, how does this affect non-believers? Uh, do they think I'm cool because I do this? They do it and I do it, so we're all cool, and now I have an opportunity to witness to them. Is that really true? Or is it just something I want to do to be cool? 
And would it be more of a witness to them if I didn't do it, if I just hung around with them and, and didn't do what they do, but had more fun not doing what they don't do, or if that makes any sense. I remember once, I'll tell this one quick story, but uh, it, was a, it was the uh, office Christmas party. Anybody have office Christmas parties? Don't go to them. They're terrible, but, you know, I had to, and um, everybody is drunk. So whether or not you drink alcohol, that, that's not the issue tonight, but you shouldn't get drunk. We would all agree. So everybody's drunk except me and Dan Conley. We're the only two Christians in the office. Orange Coast Titles Christmas Party. And um, at one point, uh, I'd become pretty savvy about things. And at one point, the band was playing, and they were getting ready to do, um, uh, I guess, do they call it the Sadie Hawkins dance, where the gals grab the guys, you know, and you have to dance with them. Well, I hate to dance anyway, but I'm not certainly not going to dance with drunk women who I work with when my wife isn't around. Just That's just a personal thing with me. I mean... <laughs> Maybe you have some other feelings about that, you know. So Dan and I were, were together, and I said, hey, come with me. This was, uh, he thought it was weird at first, too, but I said, hey, come with me to the bathroom. And he says, what? You're going to thank me. Just come with me to the bathroom. And then we go to the bathroom, and I'm just talking to him. He goes, what are we doing in here? I said, oh, well, they're having the Sadie Hawkins dance. I'll tell you right now, there's ladies looking for us to try and dance with us and force us to dance with us. And, and there were. I mean, they, they respected it was before gender bathroom things, and so they wouldn't come into our bathroom. And so when that dance was over, we went out. But at the end of the night, I remember this one gal, she was so cute. She came up to us, and she says, how do you guys have so much fun without being drunk? And I said, well, it's the Holy Spirit. We're, you know, and I gave her a testimony. They all, everybody knew we were Christians, and so it was fun. So it's not a matter of whether you can drink or not. I, th- that's between you and the Lord. I'm not going to have those discussions with you. You shouldn't be drunk. But you might want to think about how you approach life in situations like that uh, in terms of your testimony. So that's what Paul is talking about, about glorifying the Lord. Grace is the context in which all this occurs. Not one of us, not ever, merits or deserves anything from God, but he graciously supplies everything we need for life and for godliness. He says, according to the grace of Jesus and the Father, I am saved, I'm being sanctified, And I will be glorified. And here's a final observation. Paul did not pray for their persecution to end. Maybe he did elsewhere, but that's not what he prayed for here. He prayed for something higher, for something better. And and I have to just believe he was led by the Spirit in that. So he wrote about their persecution. He said, keep your persecution in the context of the end times. We suffer now to reign later. And then he didn't say, now let me pray for you that your persecutors would quit persecuting you or that you would not be in this situation or that God would relieve you of this suffering. He essentially prayed that they would grow in that suffering and grow through that suffering and experience the grace of God and those kinds of things. And so um, it may be that your friends will quit asking you to pray for them. You know, you say, hey, will you pray for me? I'm going through this. And when you start praying that God would take them through it and strengthen them and, and... and then at the end, they say, hey, could you, could you mention that I don't want to go through it? Could you, could you at least ask that he would take it away? And, and maybe, maybe that's not the best thing. Maybe it's not the best thing. So we need to be praying for something higher, something better. Aim higher. Is that the Air Force motto? It's a good motto for us, for our prayer force. Aim higher and want what is best. 